So if you have your Bible, you can open it up to Jonah chapter 4. This is a reading of God's word. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I, what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew you were a gracious and passionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out, sat down at a place east of the city. Then he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about that plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should not I have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from the left, and also many animals? It's the reading of God's word, the conclusion to the book of Jonah. Please join me in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word, which is life, your word, which is truth, your word, which is so real. So this morning, as we finish this sermon series on Jonah, I pray you would speak to us one last time from this this text, from this story. Encourage us, sharpen us, rebuke us, lead us to have a heart more like yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you just join us today, we're, uh, we're finishing off a series of sermons. We've been looking for the last few weeks on the book of Jonah. We've been saying that it's an important book because it's so real. It shows us what a, just a normal Christian life looks like. A lot of people think that when they become a believer, it's just a straight line to glory. You just believe in God and you just keep growing and you just keep on climbing closer to God. Today, we had the the joy of hearing our pastoral interim Samuel talk about the ups and downs of his life. And I want to say that the book of Jonah also echoes that. The Christian life is often a roller coaster. It's ups and downs. You're going to have moments in your faith where, like Samuel, like Jonah, you're discouraged. You have questions. You might consider leaving the faith. There are going to be times where you feel burnt out, where you are hurt. You've been, you get hurt by the church, hurt by other people. And you wonder where God is. And the book of Jonah says that even when your faith unravels, God is still faithful. Even when you leave God, God will pursue you. God is patient. He's gracious. Today we're going to look at this last chapter of Jonah, which I think really summarizes what the message of Jonah is about. The message of Jonah is ultimately about God working on Jonah's heart. If Jonah, the book, the final chapter of Jonah, in many ways, it's very odd. It seems like it doesn't belong. 
uh, it seems like the story of Jonah should have ended in chapter 3. Because in chapter 1, God, uh, Jonah runs away from God. He doesn't want to be a preacher, preach to the Ninevites, the people he hates. Jonah chapter 2, God works in Jonah's heart. Uh, he sends the whale to swallow Jonah up. Jonah ch- has his, he changes. He decides in chapter 3, now he's going to go to the city of Nineveh. Jonah preaches that message of judgment. All of the Ninevites turn to God. And that, in many ways, should have been the storybook ending. That Jonah learns his lesson. He preaches that word. People come to God. Hallelujah. Amen. That's a good story. You think it ends there, but it doesn't actually end there. Jonah chapter 4 is the ending. And what Jonah chapter 4 is really about is Jonah's heart. Even though his behavior changes... His heart is still hardened. There's still a lot of hate in Jonah's heart. And Jonah's chapter 4 is about God working in Jonah's heart. You know, in um, the biblical mindset, the heart is the most important part of a human being. In Western culture and Western mindset, we think of the mind as the most important thing. So it's all about education. It's all about learning. It's all about the power of positive thoughts. It's all about mindfulness. You hear that phrase a lot about our thoughts or meditations or thinking or education. But in the biblical mindset, it's not so much about our mind. The mind is important. But what's more important than that is our heart. It's, our, it's all about our desires. It's all about what we worship. It's all about uh, the wellspring of our heart, from the wellspring of our heart, everything else, including our mind, our thoughts, our actions, it flows out of our hearts. And the key thing that God wants to teach Jonah and us is about our heart, examining our heart, and becoming like God, having God's heart. So today, as we close out the series, I just want to look at two things. I want to look at Jonah's heart, what's wrong with his heart. Finally, I want to look at God's heart, how God invites both Jonah and us to have more of his heart. So today, let's look at this idea of Jonah's heart. Jonah has been on a journey, and we've been tracking through it throughout this series. Jonah's on a journey. And by the time we hit the, the final chapter, uh, Jonah is in a place, he's, he's not in a good place. You would think he was. We talked about that. Uh, in Jonah chapter 3, Jonah preaches to the Ninevites this simple message The message was, in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be overturned. And part of the reason why Jonah was probably successful with his preaching is that he relished the opportunity to preach this message of judgment. He loved preaching that message. He said to Nineveh Nineveh, that in 40 days, everything's going to be overturned. And we looked at the irony and the ambiguity of that word overturned. Because in the Hebrew, the word overturned is actually ambiguous. It's not not positive or negative. To be overturned can mean uh, to begin again. It can mean the idea of turning over a new leaf, of uh, beginning a new start. And that's actually what happens. At the end of chapter 3, the people of Nineveh, they respond to Jonah's message. They uh, turn away from the evil, the violence, and they turn toward God. And you would think that after that amazing response, Jonah would be happy. You'd imagine he would, he would be rejoicing at their salvation, but he's not. First one, we read this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, 
and he was angry. Jonah's not happy. In fact, he's very upset. Why is Jonah so upset? Well, in verse 2, Jonah finally comes clean. And it shows us why he didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh because he knows that if he does, the Ninevites, if he preaches anything about God, he knows what God is like. And he's like, God, I knew if I went to Nineveh, I knew you were soft. I knew you were gracious. I knew that if I said anything about you, you're just going to forgive them. And he was very critical of the enemies. He's like, you know, they, they're not really repentant. They're just doing that because they don't want to be destroyed. God, it's not fair. They deserve judgment. Jonah is upset. And he's so upset. And in fact, he says he'd rather die than live. That's how upset Jonah was. And God speaks to Jonah. You know, it's amazing. We're going to talk about this, how God tenderly, graciously speaks to Jonah. In verse 4, the Lord says to Jonah, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? God's like a therapist. And he says to Jonah, Jonah, let's, let's talk about you. Like, what's going on with your heart? Why are you so upset? Why are you so upset? What is wrong with Jonah's heart? Uh, what's, what, what, what are the issues in his heart? And I'm going to talk about two things. The first thing is, one of the most essential problems with Jonah is he's racist. He's racist. Uh, in many ways, Jonah was a Jewish nationalist. He was, first and foremost, all about his nation and his race. How do, how do we see that? Well, we get tipped off by that in the first chapter of Jonah, actually. First chapter of Jonah, when Jonah introduces himself to the sailors, it's interesting how he introduces himself. Uh, when he meets these sailors for the first time who are not Jewish, in chapter 1, he mentions first his race. He says he's a Hebrew. He doesn't first mention that he's a believer in God, follower of God. He mentions his race and his place. And that really was the key theme for Jonah. Jonah was all about his race and his place, his nationality, his country. And that was central to Jonah's identity. But secondly, Jonah himself, uh, when he explains his attitude toward the Ninevites, explains that he didn't want to preach to the Ninevites because he didn't want them to turn to God. He essentially and explicitly talks about his hatred for them. He didn't want God to be merciful to them. He was so deeply, uh, he had such a deep hate for them that he said he would rather die than live to see all of them rescued. Imagine hating a race so deeply that you would rather die than have them come to God. That was the hate in Jonah's heart. That was the issues that he had. Jonah's issue was his racism. He over-identified with his country. Tim Keller, in his book on Jonah, uh, says that one of the core issues of Jonah's life was that he had made race an idol. And this is what he says. He says, when race becomes an idol, it leads us to exclude people who are different from us, to reject, denigrate, avoid, or segregate them, or assimilate them forcibly, demanding they believe and act just like us. For Jonah, race had become an idol. It became too important. And it allowed and affected him to, uh, to, uh, to force and hate these people other than himself. 
You know, as a history in in our own country, in our own culture, uh, we struggle with this issue of race in our country. We're experiencing that right now, and we're grappling with our history of racism and segregation. Last year, I read a book by Richard Rothstein. It's called The Color of Law. In it, he details how the government has explicitly uh, sought segregation through housing policies. And in one of his chapters, he talks about the history of Los Angeles, how Los Angeles was a, a, a good study on how the government segregated the city and how this city is segregated because of the roots of it. One of the things that, one of the policies that segregated our city, city of Los Angeles, was neighborhood covenants. And neighborhoods such as Westwood, we're going to talk about Westwood, there are explicit policies called neighborhood covenants. And this is literally what this neighborhood covenant said in Westwood. No property in said addition shall at any time be sold, conveyed, rented, or leased in whole or in part to any persons not of the white or Caucasian race. That was explicit neighborhood covenant in Westwood, California. You might say, well, you know, those laws, they don't, they don't exist anymore. That's history. Well, what are the results of that history? The results of that history now is that in Westwood, California today, it's less than 2% African American. And that's the roots, you know, of a law that we're still grappling with today. African Americans have lost countless trillions of dollars because they've been forced to live in places whose home values have stagnated or plummeted and they have lost out on opportunities to live in places like Westwood where home prices have exploded. You know, it's interesting because if you look at census data in 1950, the average home price, get this, the average home price in 1950 was $7,400. That's 1950. You might say, well, that was 1950. Well, let's adjust for inflation. If you even adjust for inflation, that number is $78,000 in 2019 dollars. And if you think about uh, African-American family, think about the opportunity cost lost if an African-American family was able to buy a house in Westwood for $7,400 in the 1950s. And if they passed that to their children, and now that house is worth $2 million. Think about all of the equity that was lost through that racist policy. And all of those things still exist today. We are still grappling with the echoes of those policies. You might say, well, that was the law then. I see some ramification now, but I would say to you today, in Los Angeles, we're still very segregated by race, but it's not enforced. It's now a preference that we have. Now we freely often segregate ourselves because we don't. We want to live with people who are like us. We want to live in places that are comfortable for us. Do you have a hard time going to parts of the city where you feel like you're a minority? Uh, Do you like to stick with people like Jonah did who are your own? And that's the question we have to ask ourselves. There is a tendency in all of us uh, toward feeling superior to the other. It's a natural tendency that we all have. Is it in us? One uh, test I would say to you is this, is what do you get angry about? What causes you anger? Jonah's anger tipped us off to something was wrong with his heart. Are you explosively angry, just in general? Do you get angry about the other, other races, other cultures, other people, immigrants, transients, people out there? You're angry about what they're doing. It tips us off to something is 
off in our hearts. It was Jonah's racism. But the second thing that Jonah struggled with, which was at the problem of his heart, was his self-centeredness. You know, after God questions Jonah, Jonah takes off. But this time he takes off. Uh, Jonah takes off twice. First at the beginning of the story and now at the end. He, he's a runner. And he takes off. In Jonah chapter 4, he takes off outside of the city. And he goes outside the city and he has a countdown clock. 40 days. And he's still hoping that after these 40 days, God's still going to destroy Nineveh. I mean, he's committed to that. He's committed to that hatred for that city. And he says, God, I know all these people came to you, but I hope you change your mind. So he goes outside the city and he's going to watch it. And he's counting down. He's going to stay there 40 days and wait. I hope, God, you change your mind. And as he's out there, it's interesting because he builds a little house. He has to be there 40 days. He builds a little house. Uh, of available things, which would be clay, which would be stone. He probably didn't have a roof because he would need wood for that, which was scarce at that time. So it's probably a roofless house. And it says that during this time, the sun would beat down on Jonah's head, sweltering heat, the heat of the summer. And God miraculously, again, a picture of his grace, provides for Jonah. He has this plant grow miraculously, Quickly, with leafy leaf that provides shade for Jonah. And one of the responses uh, that I love in verse 6, it says, Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Jonah's finally happy. I mean, this has been a journey for Jonah to get happy. I mean, he's been through a lot. God's been teaching him a lot. He saw a tremendous thing. He's finally happy. Jonah's finally happy. What makes him happy? It's not 120,000 people coming to God. That does not make him happy. What makes Jonah happy? This little plant. This little plant makes Jonah happy. I mean, this whole journey. You know, it's crazy because we can lose perspective in our life. Right? The things that shouldn't make us rejoice don't make us rejoice. But we get caught up in our little things like a plant. You know, when you think about it, sometimes we're like Jonah. The things that gets us up, the things that we're most happy about are things like a plant. You might have a garden that you love. You might have plants. You might have beautiful succulents and you love them. They're the things that make you happy. You might have a pet, an animal, a dog or cat that you love. You dress them up. You have an Instagram account for them. You, you love them. You love your pet. You might have a television show that you love. You binge. You discuss. And all of those things are great things. Problem is when there are ultimate joy in life. The Problem is when these small things which should make us happy become our greatest joys. The things that make us really happy, that get us up, that make us excited are these little things in God's creation. Jonah has lost all perspective and so have I, so have we. Uh, The problem is when little things become the biggest things in our life. When our little uh, hobbies, the things outside, when they occupy the central place and are the central joys in our life. So let me ask you a question. The problem in Jonah's life was diagnosed by what made him angry and what made him happy. So let me ask you that question. What makes you angry? What makes you laugh? What gives you the greatest joy? What do you weep about? What do you laugh about? Because the kingdom of God is about the things that we laugh about and the the things that we weep about. 
Are the things that occupy the greatest place and the greatest delight in your heart the things of God? Or is it your personal preferences, your hobbies, side things in your life? Is God the, it says in the Proverbs that we are to delight ourselves in the Lord. Is God and the kingdom your greatest delight? Is seeing people come to faith, does that give you the greatest joy? Is that the thing that, man, that gets you up in the morning? That makes you feel alive? Or is it these small things that you look forward to at the end of the day, at the end of the week? Is your heart not right? The anger of Jonah and the joys of Jonah tip us off to the problems in his heart, tips us off to our own heart. So the second thing and final thing is this. What does God want from us? And this is the thing that Jonah is leading us to. God wants us to have his heart. God wants us to have a heart like Jonah. Jonah needs to have a heart like God. So what is God's heart like? Well, all throughout the story of Jonah, that's what we're actually seeing. We're actually seeing God's heart throughout this book. Jonah was quick to anger, right? Anger for Jonah, it it just happened. You know, Jonah's upset about the Ninevites coming to faith. He's upset about this plan. He is triggered by all of these things. What about God? And the answer is, God is slow to anger. Think about all the things Jonah puts God through. You know, Jonah says to God, essentially, at the first chapter, God, I hate you. I don't want to be near you. I'm out. Uh, what would you say to someone who said that to you? Like, I hate you. I don't want to be close to you. I'm going to leave the furthest possible place. The vast majority of us would be like, yeah, go. I don't want to be near you. I don't want you around. You don't want to be near me? Just go. God could have said that to Jonah. God could have found another prophet who was much less racist than Jonah, much less selfish than Jonah. God could have chose anybody better than Jonah. He could have just let Jonah go. I choose somebody else. But God pursues Jonah. God's so patient with Jonah. He is. Not only did Jonah rebel once, but twice. Now he's outside the city. And what does God do? God is chasing Jonah. God is patiently like a therapist asking Jonah what's wrong. In verse 7, God teaches Jonah a lesson. Now he's a a therapist asking Jonah, Jonah, what's going on with your heart? Something's wrong? Let's talk about it. So patient with Jonah, going with Jonah on this journey. And, And then finally, God says to Jonah, Jonah, let me teach you a lesson. Uh, what the Puritans called God's severe mercies. John, I'm going to teach you a lesson because I love you. So in verse 7, God has a worm attack this plant that Jonah so loves. Plant withers, it dies, and when Jonah sees that, he's irate. He is so angry. And God again says to Jonah, Jonah, do you have, do you have a right to be that angry? Jonah says, I want to die. God says, hold on, Jonah. <laughs> like, why are you so upset about this plant? And he says, do you have a right to be upset about this plant that is only here for a few days? And Jonah doubles down. He says, I do have a right to be upset. I am justified in my anger. God has him right where he wants him. What does God say? And this closes out the book of Jonah. Jonah says, if you are right to be so concerned about a plant that's only lived a few days, don't I have a right to be concerned about 120,000 souls that are lost? 
And the silence is deafening. God says, Jonah, you care about a plant? You're so concerned about this plant. It's three days old. Shouldn't I and shouldn't you be concerned about 120,000 souls who are so lost? What is God's heart? God is patient. He's so patient. But God's heart is filled with kindness and compassion and love for his enemies. Think about the ways God talks about the Ninevites. It's a, he says this in verse 11. This is the closing of the book of Jonah. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from the left, and also much cattle. And what God says to them, uh, what how God refers to the Ninevites. We said that Nineveh is the capital. Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. They were a terrorist state. They were brutal. They were angry. They were unjust. But God says, let's look at it from a different perspective. He's very generous with them. He says, well, not, it's not just that they are evil, but he says they're lost. That's how he looks at it. He says they don't know their right hand from their left. That was an idiom in ancient times for a person who was lost. They didn't know their north from their south, their left hand from their right hand. It's not just that they're evil. It was that they were lost. God says to Jonah, Jonah, these people, they didn't know who I was. They didn't have what you had. They didn't have the knowledge of who I was. They didn't have prophets. God says, Jonah, uh, would you have my generosity? Would you have my compassion? The ultimate way we see God's heart is through Jesus. That's always the way we see the heart of God. What was Jesus like? And we've been saying all throughout the series that Jesus himself says, I am the greater than Jonah. He says, the greater than Jonah is here. Jesus explicitly said, I'm the prophet that Jonah never was. We said that Jonah preached judgment, but Jesus is the prophet who preaches grace. Jonah went outside the city to see its destruction. You know, right before he went to the cross, Jesus was outside the city of Jerusalem weeping over it. Jesus, Jonah went outside the city to see the city's destruction. Jesus went outside the city and he was crucified outside the city. And he took the destruction upon himself. Jonah wanted the city to be judged, his enemies to be cursed. Jesus died for his enemies. He was cursed for us so that we would be set free. Jonah finally was a nationalist. That's what we've been saying. Jesus loved and died for the nations. You know, the very last commandment Jesus gives his disciples in Matthew 28, 19 is this. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son And of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was not all about the nation of Israel. No. His last commandment is like now. Go to all the nations. Every part of the world. And tell them the good news. And that's Jesus' heart. That's actually the promise. The Abrahamic promise. In Revelation 7 we see this last picture of heaven. And it says every tribe. Every tongue. Every people. All the nations are going to be gathered together. In white hot worship. Jesus' heart and God's heart is for the nations. And what God is saying to us this morning is, my love is wide, it's beautiful, it's strong. 
would you have my heart? Would you have my love? Would you love the things that I love? One final question is this, is how did Jonah respond? How did Jonah respond? We said that this, uh, this book ends with a question. And we don't actually have a recorded response by Jonah. In one sense, the book of Jonah ends on a cliffhanger. It ends on a cliffhanger. We're not sure how it ends. It doesn't have an ending. Scholars have wrestled with that for centuries. Like, why doesn't the book of Jonah actually have a conclusion? There's no end. We don't know how Jonah responded. Why is that? And the answer, one answer is this. Well, we have to respond to that question. You know, the book of Jonah is actually about us. I'm Jonah. You're Jonah. We're all Jonah. And God says to us this morning, I know what's in your heart. I know it's not right. I know your selfishness. I know your tendency to be all about yourself and your race and your people and your things. But God says to us, will you open up your heart? Would you see my beauty and glory? Would you be called? Would you go out in my name and love my people? God asks us the question, we are supposed to supply the conclusion to the story in our life. Here's the other uh, answer to the question. Uh, how does Jonah respond? And I answer this question by asking another question, ironically. And that question is this. Who wrote the book of Jonah? It's the last question I want to kind of leave you with. Who wrote the book of Jonah? And the answer is confusing because in one sense, uh, all of the, especially Jonah chapter 4, had all of these intimate conversations in which only Jonah and God were present. Jonah chapter 4, it's just God and Jonah. No one was there. He was outside the city. The only way we could have ever known that conversation is if Jonah told somebody. Or Jonah himself wrote it. Those are the only two ways we could have known. And if Jonah did not change his mind, there is no way he would have told anyone about the story. Because Jonah looks horrible in this story. Jonah looks foolish. He looks racist. He looks... He's all out of sorts. He's angry. He's bitter. He's temperamental. Jonah looks awful in this story. There's no way. If Jonah did not change, he would tell anybody about the story. He would have buried it, told nobody about it, told people who was just on vacation in Nineveh. He would not tell anyone about the story because it's totally, utterly embarrassing. What is the only reason Jonah would have told anyone about the story? And the answer is Jonah changed. Jonah realized, oh, God, you're right. You're so gracious to me. You're so patient with me. God, your, your grace is amazing. And in many ways, I think the only reasonable explanation for the book of Jonah is that Jonah told this story, and this whole story is his confession. Jonah's whole story, the reason he tells it and told to anybody is to say, people of God, learn from me. I was a fool. Don't be like me. I was a fool. I was self-centered. I was racist. I was angry. But God was so patient and gracious to me. God rescued me from the sea, from my own hatred, from my bitterness. And he patiently forgave me. I know there's an old medieval Jewish sermon that says that when Jonah heard the word of the Lord, this final question by God, he says, at that very moment, 
Jonah fell flat on his face saying, direct your world according to the attribute of mercy. As it is written, mercy and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God. And Jonah at the end, I think the only logical conclusion is he says, he comes to realize, God, you are so patient and gracious. You're full, you are so slow to anger, not like me abounding in loving kindness. And this morning, as we conclude this this sermon series of Jonah, Jonah says to you, uh, come to this banquet of grace. Come if you're burnt out, if you're tired, if you're angry, if you're bitter. Come to this table of grace. God forgives you. God loves you. God's so patient with you. And would, at this banquet of grace, would God change your heart? Would you have a heart like God, which is so patient? Would you have a, uh, a heart like God for outcasts, for misfits, for burnt out, broken people, because you are like them? And would we all rejoice and be captivated by the grace of God? Please join me in prayer. Father, we give you thanks for the story of Jonah which is a story about our heart. Forgive us for our selfishness, our racism, our self-hatred. Thank you that you're so patient with us. So patient with us. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that the sea, the storms of life, the trials of life, are all, you send them as your severe mercies to bring us to our senses, to bring us closer to you. God, we ask this morning that we'd have more of your heart, less anger, more love. Uh, That we would be filled with compassion for people who are so different from us. God, I pray that at City Light Church we would fulfill our mission to be a cross-cultural church in midst of divisions and hatred. We'd be a community of diversity but of love. Help us to love our neighbor. Help us to love the other. Uh, Give us such an overwhelming sense of belonging to you that we're so secure we don't need to justify ourselves. Pray that you would help our community be a Christ-centered, city-focused, cross-cultural community that brings you glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.